the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Proof of our sin can be found in the cross. Proof of the cross can be found in the resurrection. Proof of the resurrection can be found in his appearance, and the proof of this appearance is all wrapped up in his ascension. Join us. Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner is next. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner will take us to Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 53 today. A message called The Ascension of Jesus, part one. Now, we're looking at a four-part series on this ascension and why it is so significant, especially here during Christmas time. We would invite you to join us today as we celebrate the ascension of Jesus here as we also celebrate his birth with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Paul's beloved physician, Luke, a great historian, scholar, and evangelist, is bringing his gospel to a brilliant and breathtaking climax. This 24th chapter of Luke is not the grand finale of Jesus' life. It is only the end of his earthly life that focused on his incarnation, his righteous living, his suffering and crucifixion, his burial and resurrection, and now his ascension. His glorious life continued in Luke's other book, the book of Acts, which tells us the thrilling story of Christ's resurrected life and his ministry by the power of his spirit in history and in our lives through his church and by his word. This 24th chapter of Luke that contains the climax of his gospel is concerned primarily with Christ's resurrection and ascension. It's portrayed with all of the skill and care of an artist painting his masterpiece. And so let's take an abbreviated look at the entire chapter. In the first seven verses, we have the announcement by the angels that Jesus Christ has physically arisen from the dead and that the tomb is empty. In verses 8 through 11, we have the report of the women who were there at the tomb and heard the angels' announcement, and then their report to the apostles and disciples who were skeptical of their report. In verse 12, we read that Peter ran to the tomb when he heard the woman's report to see for himself what had happened. But though it was exactly as the woman had said, he left there amazed and uncertain. Then in verses 13 through 32, we see Jesus walking with the two disciples to Emmaus, explaining to them how the Bible is centered on his suffering and on his exaltation. And then at dinner that night, once they reached Emmaus, 
Jesus opened their eyes and revealed himself to them. And then he vanished. In verses 33 through 35, we see these same two disciples immediately running back the seven miles to Jerusalem to report to the apostles that the Lord indeed had risen. And they shared with them what they had heard from the Lord's own lips. In verses 36 through 43, we see Jesus physically appearing in the midst of a gathering of his apostles and disciples on the Sunday evening of his resurrection. He startles them, and he tells them who he is, and he shows them that he is not a ghost. In verses 44 through 49, Luke brilliantly weaves together a litany of statements by Jesus spoken during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to God's right hand. And then the book ends very simply in verses 50 through 53, describing the ascension of Jesus Christ, where he ascends literally to the right hand of our Father. Now let's go back and consider his appearance to his apostles in verses 36 through 43. They gathered in a home in Jerusalem on Sunday evening after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which took place, of course, earlier that morning. The Apostle John tells us that the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, I'm sure they were sad and dejected. But then, all of a sudden, Jesus physically appears right in the middle of the room. And he says to them, and now, Luke quotes Jesus as saying, just this, peace be unto you. Now get the picture here. That was a common greeting in those days. They are all in this room and they're sitting around dejected and sad. The physical Jesus appears right in the middle of the room and he says to them, how y'all doing? Peace be unto you. Now I can imagine how startled they were and frightened. But that's not all that Jesus said to them. The Apostle John finishes the quote of Jesus, and it is literally an amazing statement. He said to these apostles and disciples, now listen, peace be with you. As my Father sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins, you remit. They are remitted them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So here Jesus in the midst of this room, and by his, his appearance and by his words, he assures those gathered there of his resurrection first of all. All he had to tell them is, it's me. It is I, myself. But then he showed them various things. And he showed these things not to convince them that he was actually Jesus, but to convince them that it was a physical resurrection. This was a physical presence, not a ghostly presence. So he said, look at the scars in my hands. Ghosts don't have scars in their hands. Fix me something to eat. So he ate broiled fish. Ghosts don't eat. And as C.S. Lewis said, the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection was as real 
as broiled fish. So by his word, he convinces them that it is he. And then by the marks and by his eating with them, he convinces them that this is a physical resurrection and not just some kind of spiritual thing. He says to them, then, receive the Holy Spirit. And he does this in anticipation of the day of Pentecost that was really not very far off. When the Holy Spirit was poured out with all of his abundant power on his people. He is here reassuring these men of their apostleship. He says, I have a mission for you. You as apostles have a unique mission. You are to be the foundation of the church. You are to be the vehicles of divine revelation. So receive the Holy Spirit by whom you will be inspired and who will guide you as you speak and as you write the very words of God. And then he impresses them and us, I believe, with the power of the gospel and with the authority of the Christian church. He says to the apostles and his disciples, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted to them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now let's say this just a little differently. He says to the apostles, the foundation of the church now, whosoever sins you forgive, they are actually and really forgiven and are no longer separating them from God. And whosoever sins you do not forgive, their sins, no matter what they are, will still stand as an obstacle in their pathway to God. And they guarantee God's curse upon them. Beloved, that is powerful, isn't it? This is the authority of the church. God is here addressing the church. The apostles, who are the representatives of the church and his disciples, the members of the church, they were all there. And Jesus said to them all, by the, Spirit of, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, as a resurrected Christ, give you my church, and that means us as well, the authority to forgive, and whosoever sins you forgive, they are really and truly eternally forgiven by God, and they will not then be kept out of heaven. And any one sins you don't forgive, those sins will always stand there closing the door to heaven, and to God's presence. Now, be careful lest you abuse such an awesome authority as this. And to make you sure you understand how you are to go about this. You are not to just go out into the world and start forgiving everyone you see. Maybe because you just simply like them. I forgive you and I forgive you. And you don't stand on the corner during times of heavy traffic and forgive all the cars that go by. This, of course, is not what Christ is getting at. So how do you forgive sins? You do it by presenting the gospel to people. And then when people receive the Lord Jesus Christ, God forgives them of their sins, and you can assure them that their sins are forgiven by grace through faith. 
And God will then never hold those sins against them. Forever. And anyone who comes and they hear the preaching of the gospel and they resist it and they turn away from it and are determined rather to live their own lives by their own standards, then you can assure them that as long as they live in that defiant and unbelieving state, their sins stand as a wall separating them from God and they bring God's curses upon themselves. Now that's powerful authority. And you know what? Christians don't use that authority as they should and as we can. With the gospel of Christ, we offer sinners forgiveness. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from your sinful life, surrender your life to Him, then I can guarantee you as a believer, that God will forgive your sins throughout all eternity, and nothing, nothing will separate you from Him. But if you don't, and you die in unbelief, I can guarantee you that God will not forgive you of your sins, and you will absolutely go to hell. Beloved, that is the authority that Jesus Christ laid in the laps and the lives of those disciples and apostles who are the representatives of the church, the very foundation. And he did that when he appeared in the middle of that room. So in verses 38 through 40, God, Christ says, here are the marks, the scars, and I ate the fish. Now, some people have drawn wrong conclusions from this. When you and I are raised from the dead physically at the end of life, at the end of the world when Christ comes again, our bodies will be absolutely perfect. There won't be any scars on them. There won't be any deficiencies to them. They will be physically, emotionally, mentally spiritually perfect. But people say, well, how about the scars on Jesus' hands? Here's a resurrected body, and he has scars on his hands. Well, he may have just manifested those scars to his disciples that he wasn't to show that he wasn't simply a ghost and that he was who he truly said he was. But think about this. Those were unique scars. They were not like our scars, like anything you and I would be scarred with. These aren't deficiencies in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. These are glorious things that show us that the same one who arose from the dead, who we will spend eternity with in heaven, is the one who died in our place on Calvary's cross. You can choose one or the other of those scenarios because they both fit very well. So he shows them these things and he impresses them that he is just as patient and just as sympathetic and just as compassionate and just as loving as he was before his crucifixion. Remember, these people are startled. They are confused. They don't have any idea which way to turn. They disbelieve he has arisen, 
So Jesus does not rebuke them. He patiently leads them to a strong and stable faith in himself. This majestic, glorious person is the same Jesus you can draw close to. He's just as compassionate and and sympathetic as he ever was. This is the same Jesus that died, was buried, and is now risen again. Let me remind you of something that happened earlier that morning on Jesus' resurrection day. Remember when Mary was at the tomb and Jesus came up to her in the garden. You know, she so much wanted to be able to touch him. She wanted to embrace him. She was so concerned about him. And here he was. But he wouldn't allow her to touch his resurrected body. Why? Because he wanted to teach her that he didn't arise from the dead to come back to his old former relationships just like they used to be. You see, everything has changed. He wanted her to understand that he is resurrected. He is glorified. He's not coming back to the things as they were. He's going forward. He's going to save sinners, to advance his kingdom, to conquer his enemies. For as Scripture said, He must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. And now, he says to his disciples, you can touch me if you want to. He told Mary not to touch him, and now he tells his disciples, you can touch me if you want to. He tells his disciples this because he wants them to go with him into that glorious future of conquest, that glorious future of joy and triumph with the powerful gospel. But in order for them to go with him and to be faithful and strong in the face of all the persecution they would have to endure, his disciples must be certain of his physical resurrection and absolutely certain of his presence with them by his spirit as they face whatever the future holds for them. And that same invitation, beloved, goes out to each of you. He wants you, his disciples today, to follow him into the future. He has won victory after victory over the past 2,000 years. He has destroyed enemy after enemy. He has purified and strengthened his church and chastened her time and again. And there are even greater victories that he will yet win. So the latter days of the history of Christianity are going to be far more glorious than anything that has preceded it. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to you, follow me into that future. You can be certain, he says, that it is I. You can be certain I arose from the dead. You can be certain that I will be with you until the end of the age. And now with confidence in my presence, join me in taking the future for God's kingdom. 
Don't face the future with despair and depression and discouragement and fear. Face it with wonder and confidence and boldness that Jesus reigns and that he is at work this very day conquering his enemies through you so that everything we do for him, however small and insignificant, will in some way or another contribute toward the advance of Christianity until that day when Scripture says the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the water covers the sea. That is complete, beloved. In verses 44 through 49, we have a series of statements. Now, I don't think all of these statements by Jesus were made in that room where he appeared. Because when you actually compare all of the gospel accounts... I think it's more reasonable to believe that Luke, as brilliant as he was, takes these various statements from Jesus during those entire 40 days, and he weaves them together. And of course, I'm talking about the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And Lord willing, we're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. But notice one of the things Luke quotes Jesus as saying in verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, he's emphasized this several times throughout this chapter. Notice up in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself in all the Scripture. Verse 32. And they said to one another, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, were not our hearts burning in us while he was speaking to us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us? Jesus brought this up often during those 40 days that he walked the earth and before he ascended to heaven. He wants his church to know that what had happened to him was the necessary fulfillment of the plan of God as revealed in the Old Testament and prophesied by himself over and over again during his ministry. He said, this is the plan of God. This had to happen. It was inevitable that it should happen. There is nothing that have could kept it from happening because my suffering and my death and my resurrection from the grave had been planned by God from all eternity as the work of His grace by which He would save sinners from their sins. It was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Men, if you would have just taken the Old Testament seriously and paid attention to the reading of the Bible, if you would have paid attention to me, said Jesus, as I prophesied, you would have known what all this means. So here you see Jesus once again doing what he had done throughout his ministry, and that is emphasizing that his life and his death and his resurrection all happened according to God's plan. It was not a great tragedy. It was not some accident. It was the fulfillment of the plan of God by which he would save sinners from death and from hell. Now look at the phrase, while I was still with you. He said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now that's an interesting phrase because he is with them. 
But he is with them now in a different way than he was with them then. Remember what I told you when I was still with you in the old sense, he says? Well, I'm emphasizing those same words to you now as I am with you in the new sense. And if we had time to go through the book of John, we would literally see that for three years, nevertheless, that the intimate life that he had with them for three years, that we as Christians have even in greater, in greater power through the Holy Spirit after his resurrection. And it is far more profound and far more intimate than anything that the apostles experienced for the last three years of Christ's earthly life. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.